0: Jason mentioned, he is not Mark Mackin, for those of you that are visiting, and I am not Ron Woods, but I'm thrilled that you're here nonetheless. We're going to have a wonderful time. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas, and I appreciate you showing up the day after Christmas here at the the Assembly. Um, Excuse me. Uh, My name is Travis Rutland. I'm the uh, Outreach and Missions Pastor here at the Assembly, and uh, there are a couple people that I just wanted to introduce real quickly before I dive into the Word. Uh, My family is here uh, from out of town, so I just wanted to introduce them. My mom and dad are here. Uh, Dad is the president, ORU, and then my brother and sister, well my sister and her husband, but he's like a brother to me. They are here, Rosemary Starr and her husband, Dr. Brian Starr. Stand up, come on, stand up. There we go. And Brian is a real doctor as opposed to other members of the family. Uh, No, no, no. I know. Writing a thesis on the book of Ephesians is just as difficult as going through medical school. I I know. I believe you, Dad. I believe you. No, uh, I'm thrilled that they're here. They live in Eugene, Oregon, and they came to Tulsa for the holidays, so it's awesome to have them here and see them and their wonderful little boy, Michael. Um, If you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. This is our final Sunday of 2010, and I just wanted to give everybody a message as we move forward into the new year that I hope will encourage uh, encourage you so if you would again like I said Acts chapter 23 and we'll begin reading with verse 1 Acts 23 and verse 1 I grew up in Georgia and uh, I, I never knew anybody whose name was Travis growing up in Georgia I'd never met anybody I just thought it was an extremely unique name my dad and his family are originally from Texas so they named me Travis, and I just, I just never knew anybody with the name of Travis uh, until we moved to Oklahoma. And I would say that roughly 60% of everybody in Oklahoma is named Travis. I never met the, <laughs> so many people named Travis. I just, so it really disillusioned me as, as far as my, the uniqueness of my name. But uh, recently, as I was reading through the scripture, I realized in the, book of, in the New Testament, but in the book of Acts specifically, there are three people all with the same name. And uh, it, I just want to, they, their approach to the gospel, their approach to the, uh, the, the word that Jesus brings, their approach to the church, to the early New Testament church, are radically different. They're three radically different men, all with the same name. So I thought we would just take a look at that this morning. So this morning I want to preach on Ananias, that's my name too. So I want to look at three Ananiases from the book of Acts. <clears throat> So again, if you will, Acts 23, and I'll begin reading verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here today. I thank you that they've shown up the day after Christmas and uh, taken time out of their busy schedule to be here. You've been here with us. We've felt your spirit with us in the praise and worship. I ask that you would just continue to dwell with us. Bless every person that's here. Bless, bless their families. And I uh, ask that you would be, you speak through me. If you can't speak through me, I ask that you would speak in spite of me. Thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This first, high, this first Ananias we see is the high priest. Now this is not the high priest when Jesus was crucified. It's another man. But he is now the high priest... And Paul is appearing before the council in Jerusalem to defend himself about what they believe him subverting the Jewish faith, you know, circumcising Gentiles, all these things that Paul has been falsely accused of by by the Jewish, you know, high council there in Jerusalem. And Ananias is the high priest. Uh, So this is the first Ananias that we see. Now I want you to look again. Sometimes we read things in the Bible, I don't think we really look at it. This is Paul's opening line. Men and brethren, I have lived in good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest says, hey, somebody punch that guy in the mouth. That's a pretty militant statement to a pretty benign statement. Hey, imagine if you came up here after church and you said to Pastor Ron, hey, Pastor Ron, I've lived before God and man in good conscience until this day. And Pastor Ron said, hey, Chance, come over here and punch this guy in the mouth. Because Ron, you know, Chance does all of Ron's dirty work. So he says, hey, Pastor Chance, come over here and punch this guy in the mouth. Now, that wouldn't happen to any, but maybe Kent Todd. You might get punched. But besides Kent, nobody. That's a pretty militant statement. So what I see is this Ananias is a resistor. He knows the law. He knows the prophets. He knows Moses. I mean, he's the high priest, okay? He's the high priest of Israel. And yet, he is resistant to anything new or different that God wants to do in his life. And not only do in his life, but do through him. Imagine if this high priest had fallen down on his knees before Paul and said, I believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I believe in what you're preaching and I accept it. Imagine what might have happened. Ananias might have written epistles. He might have gone on missionary journeys like Paul. Who knows what could have happened through this guy's life if he had been willing to to, to receive, but instead he was resistant to anything new, anything that God wanted to do in his life, anything that God wanted to do through him, any way that God wanted to use him to touch other people's lives, he said, no, nope, I'm not accepting any of that. I, resist, I, I refuse to allow any of that to come into my life. In high school, we had to read a book called All the King's Men. It's been made into a movie a couple of times. But in the book, it's basically a look at uh, politics in the Deep South, uh, I think Louisiana, Louisiana in particular, so it's a look at politics. In the book, there is a uh, senator, an aging senator, who continually falls asleep on the floor of the Senate. So he falls asleep on the floor of the Senate. When he wakes up, the first things out of his mouth as he wakes up is, Opposed! Diametrically opposed! And that, that, his, his people actually say, You know, no, no, Senator, we're in favor of this bill. This is actually our bill we're voting on. We're not opposed to this one. I think, unfortunately, there are people in the church, hear me, I'm not preaching at you. I want to encourage you. I feel like there are people in the church that sit in the back row with their arms crossed and say opposed, opposed, opposed. I'm opposed to anything that God wants to do in my life. I'm opposed to anything God wants to do through me. I'm opposed to anything new that God wants to give me. God has plans for you. He has a destiny for you. He wants to give you things that you can pass on to others. He has a purpose for your life. And if we sit and say opposed, resistant, I don't want it, I don't accept it. I just want to sit here and not be bothered by God. We missed a blessing that he wants to give us. Don't be a resister. Don't be opposed. God wants to pour his spirit out on our lives so that we can help others. Don't be opposed. Don't be resistant to things that God wants to do in your life. You have a purpose. Your purpose is different than mine. It's different from theirs. Everybody has something that God wants to do through you. And you miss a fantastic blessing, not only on your own life, but on the lives of people that God wants to touch through you by being resistant to what he wants to do. Don't be resistant. Don't be Ananias the high priest. Don't sit there and say, I will not accept what God is offering to me. Don't do that. Now, if you will, turn back several chapters to Acts Chapter 4. We're going to spend the entire time in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, I'm again to reading the, towards the end of that chapter with verse 36. Acts 4 and 36. It is here that we meet the second Ananias. Acts 4 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What a nice story. If only it stopped there, right? So he sells land, brings the money, gives it all to the apostles. Beginning with chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias... With Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God." Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you have sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. This is maybe, in my personal opinion, I think this is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. This other guy, the high priest, he was in the church, so to speak. He knew the rules, he knew the prophet, he knew the law, but he he was not with the disciples, he didn't know these guys Ananias and Sapphira are friends of Peter and James and John it doesn't tell us but possibly they were in the upper room we don't know, we don't have a complete list of all the people that were there they've been in on the ground level of the New Testament church they've seen miracles they've gone to church in the temple they get to hang out with Peter and James I mean wow, you know like, wow, we're talking about small group with James. That's pretty good. I'll go to that small group. Okay, they're there. And yet what? They allow aspects of their life to be, not be given fully to God. They allow deception to remain in their lives. Listen to me, what does James tell us? Speaking of James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. You cannot have Sunday morning box, and then you cannot have Saturday night box, and then you cannot have the box that we, you, you, how you talk with your friends when your wife's not around, and then you can't have that aspect of your life when you look at things on the computer when nobody's watching you, and you cannot have things in your life that are habitual sins, and you can't have these levels of unforgiveness and anger. All of You can't live in this segmented life A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We see this. Ananias, this Ananias is a deceiver. Ananias, the high priest, was resistant. Ananias and Sapphira are deceivers. They had fooled themselves. What does Shakespeare tell us? To thine own self be true. And they allowed elements that they knew were wrong to remain in their lives. We cannot allow things to remain We know what's in there. See, but what happens is we take a shower and we shave and we put on an adorable little sweater vest and we come to church and we think, now I can fool everybody else. Got these socks for Christmas. Look at those preaching socks. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh. Wow. So I put on my preaching socks and my tie and my little sweater vest and I come to church, but inside I know that I have unresolved issues of anger or habitual sin, but I'm keeping it hidden from everybody else so I assume I can keep it hidden from God. But what does Peter say? You have not lied to man, you have lied to God. I'm not preaching at you. I wanna encourage you this morning. Don't allow habitual sin to remain in your life. Don't allow unresolved issues to remain. This is the last Sunday of 2010. I encourage you, I implore you in the next week to really get in with God. Really pray and say, reveal to me issues in my life that are keeping me from a full relationship. Issues that are keeping me from what you want me to do. Issues that are keeping me from having All that you want to give me. All the things that we want to have. If we allow the deception to remain, it will eventually destroy us. Before I came here to the assembly, I worked for a uh, small missions organization. My dad was the president. I worked for my dad at Global Servants. We have a girls' home in northern Thailand. We build churches in West Africa. So I would go to West Africa very regularly we would go find pastors we would train them send them to bible school build them a church and build churches in remote villages that had no church so when i was there one time some people from one of these guys churches pastor's name was dunko pastor dunko so people came from this guy's church and said pastor dunko is a polygamist he 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 has more than one wife which you know is usually disqualifies you from the ministry pretty quickly uh, assemblies of God kind of frowns upon that um, Maybe not in the Mormon church You can probably get away with that in the Mormon church But they really don't like you to have more than one wife That's really important So, so I, I, I went and met with Donko And I said okay I need to talk to you about this Do you have more than one wife? He said no I said okay So the woman you're married to now Is the woman you've always been married to He said well He said I used to be married to a woman But I divorced her I said, okay, great. So was a misunderstanding. I said, can you please show me the official divorce papers? He said, well, technically, legally, I didn't divorce her. He said, I divorced her in the traditional sense of the word. I said, okay, what does divorce in the traditional sense of the word mean? He said, well, this will show you the African mentality. He said, well, I don't eat food at her house anymore said, all right. I don't know exactly what all that means, but okay, so so you don't eat food at her house anymore. Yes. I said, but you haven't officially divorced her. You don't have an official paperwork. No. I said, okay, so you're married to another woman now, right? Yes. I said, okay, you haven't gotten divorced from the first lady. You're married to a second lady. That sounds like polygamy to me. No, no, no. And he tried to explain this convoluted you know, description of what, you know, I felt like Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man, but I know what polygamy is. I mean, you know, like being married to two ladies at the same time is polygamy. It's not complicated. He refused to admit it. He refused to accept it. He refused to anything. He was in deception. And he finally, we had to dismiss him from the church. He lost his ministry, all of those things because he allowed Things to remain in his life that shouldn't have been there. He allowed deception to remain. Don't do that. God wants to give you a fullness. He wants you to have a closer relationship with him. And we allow things to remain that keep us at arm length from the relationship that we want to have from, with God. The second thing that I see, if you'll look back, <coughs> excuse me, at verse 8. Sapphira comes in. Peter says, did you sell the land? She says, yes, for so much. Peter says, you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. The feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. She falls down dead. Look at the end of verse 10. The young men came in, found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Their deception put them in a grave next to each other. Here is what you don't believe when you're young. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Nobody sins in a vacuum talk to young people and they tell me, oh yeah, but it's a victim. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Whatever I want to do with my life doesn't hurt anybody else. Listen to me. Nobody sins in a vacuum. The worst part is not only do you hurt other people, you hurt the people that you care about the most because they're the closest to you. Deception destroys not only yourself, but it destroys the lives of the people that you love and care about the most. Don't allow deception to remain. Don't allow it to remain because it will destroy you and it will destroy those that you love the most. As I said, I grew up in Georgia. When I was about 11, we purchased a house out in the country. The previous owner of the house was an amateur taxidermist. Can I say that at 11 years old, this was the greatest house we've ever lived in. When we went to walk through the house initially to look at it, my mother opened a freezer in the basement. And there was a huge bear's head and two claws in the front. You know, she, she ran upstairs. We bought the house. The best part was he left all his amateur taxidermist stuff in the basement. This huge basement. So there were little squirrels, you know, mounted. You know, all this amateur taxidermist stuff he had left in the basement. It was a great place to play as a little boy. One of the other items he left was an enormous floor safe. I mean, huge, five feet tall maybe legs on the bottom that kind of looked like the old west safes you see in movies you know you turn the dial and then you this other turn the handle and pull the door it was enormous so i got it into my head that because he had left all that stuff he you know it was ours and furthermore i decided that i could get into that safe i felt like that was a good idea at 11. so one saturday my parents were gone a babysitter had come over and she had brought her little brother who was also about my age so I decided that the way to break into this safe was to take an axe and cut the dial off where you turn where the numbers are. Because I felt like a doorknob that if you cut it off, you know how you take one side of a doorknob off, What well, hey, it just falls apart, right? Like an egg. I assumed that by cutting the front of the dial off, the, the part inside would just fall off right down into the safe. I can see by the looks on your face that you have seen the error in this problem. Okay, so... I did not see it. So me and my buddy took an axe out of my dad's uh, workshop there and proceeded to cut the dial, literally, you know, cut the dial off of this safe. Well, what happened? When we get done, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, the dial just shears off. And the other part doesn't fall into the, I can't look into the safe. I can't reach my hand in. It just shears straight off. So I said, well, that didn't work. But as little kids are, you know, usually do. I didn't think anything else of it. I took the dial and put it in my closet. and It was just one more thing that I did when I was a little kid. About two weeks later, my mom was cleaning my room, and she found the dial in the closet. Now, you see him now, my father, respected minister, <laughs> college president, mature, calm man. Let me just tell you Dr. Rutland had some unresolved anger issues that day. I just, I I really feel like a lot of discipline out of anger that day. Okay, so dad comes home, he spanks me, he spanks Rosemary, he spanks Emily, the sisters. He goes to the babysitter's house, spanks her, spanks the... I mean, everybody got a spanking, right? They didn't have anything to do with it, but my deception got everybody in trouble. You know, he had to call the guy and say, Hey, by the way, my idiot son chopped the front off of your safe, you know? Don't allow deception to remain in your life because it not only destroys you, it destroys those you care about the most. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Ananias and Sapphira were deceivers. They were trying to deceive others. They were deceiving themselves and most importantly and, and most dangerous, they were trying to deceive God. Peter tells them, you have not lied to men, you have lied to God. Don't allow things to remain in your life that shouldn't be there. This last Sunday of 2010, embrace the full relationship that God has for you. Embrace what God wants to do through your life. Embrace the things that need to be gotten rid of. Don't allow the deception to remain. Now, if you will, we're going to turn over two chapters to Acts chapter 9. Here's our final Ananias. Ananias chapter 9. We'll begin reading with verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I must show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. This Ananias that we see, this Ananias of Damascus, this Ananias the disciple, this Ananias I like to classify as a receiver. We have Ananias the resister, Ananias the deceiver, and this is Ananias the receiver. This is the Ananias we want to be like. This is the Ananias that we strive to become. Ananias was a receiver. How did he become a receiver? I see a couple of things in this. The first is he is obedient. Look again at the first, first verse. The Lord appears to him in a vision and says, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. We read stuff like that, and we just, you know, hey, holy cow, imagine that. If you're just in your room praying, and the Lord appears in a vision, it doesn't say angel, it says Lord. God appears in a vision and says Travis. Wow, I guess I could get around to here I am, Lord, after they brought me out of my coma. Travis, here I am, Lord, yeah, hey, God appears to me all the time. But this guy says, here I am, Lord. He is obedient. Now listen to me. This is not the first time that the Lord had laid something on Ananias' heart. This is not the first time that God has said, Ananias, I want you to do this. Because he who is faithful and little will be given much. You don't start with the Lord appearing you in a vision and telling you to go baptize Saul so it becomes Paul the apostle. That's not the first time. that God doesn't trust that to a rookie. Okay? You want to become a receiver. You want to be and receive all the things God wants to give you. The first step is obedience. Obey. Obey in the little things. Do what God tells you. God wants to know he can trust us. God wants to know when he tells you go there and talk to that guy or do this or serve there or volunteer or go on this trip or do that or get involved in this ministry. He wants to know that he can trust us to do what he says. Be obedient. Listen to what God has for you and obey. The second thing I see in becoming a receiver is the willingness to accept everything that God wants to give you. This is the really hard one. Several years ago, we were at another church and we were doing a vacation Bible school. It was an evening vacation Bible school. They did it in the main sanctuary. I dropped my two oldest sons off, come back and pick them up. At the end of the night, the people that were running the VBS, they had all these prizes on stage bicycles, footballs, you know, all kinds of stuff. And everybody wanted the bike, because that's the that's the glamour prize right there. So everybody wants the bike, okay? So what they did, at the end of the night, every kid filled out an attendance card, and then you would come in, and they'd call your names out, and you'd come up and get your prize. Some of the kids, they'd be too embarrassed, they wouldn't even come up on the stage. Other kids, they'd call their name out, but the prize would be the football, and they wanted the bicycle, so they'd come, uh, you know how kids are, take the football, mad because they didn't get the bicycle. And I thought to myself, that is often how we approach God's calling on our lives. See, he's up on the stage with all our names on cards, and he's calling out names. We're all sitting there. And he calls, you know, he calls us out. Okay, Kent Todd, he gets to do this. Oh, yay for Kent. Yeah, I like that guy. All right. And we call, D- David Wakefield, John Hurdle. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're getting closer. Courtney Rutland. Oh, it's almost to Travis, we're getting close. Mark Rutland, oh, even closer, I'm next. Travis Rutland, yeah, what's he gonna say? Big ministry, famous author, huge church, world known evangelist, come on, Jesus, call something out. And Jesus pulls out the card and says, Travis Rutland, martyr. Wait, what? You didn't, Did you say martyr? I wanted the bicycle, God, I didn't, I didn't want martyr. But see, a receiver doesn't get to choose. If you want to be an authentic, genuine receiver, you receive everything that God wants to give you. Everything. The good, the bad, the tough times, the good times, the big ministry, the little ministry, the no ministry. God has something for all of us. And if we constantly compare ourselves to what that guy's doing or what she's doing, we miss what God wants to do through us. A receiver receives what God wants to give you. Receive it all. Take it in. Listen, I love these two little verses. Look again at verse 15. And the Lord says to Ananias, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. You know, I wonder if right there Ananias said, hey, God, come on now. I'm already serving you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'd like to carry your name to kings and Gentiles and the children of Israel. That sounds exciting. I want to do that. And then God says, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I said, you know what, God? You probably, you got the right guy. I'm going to, you should probably go with with Paul on this. The king stuff was fun, but I don't want to really suffer. I let let him do that. You know? A receiver doesn't get to choose. Receivers receive everything. Okay. Why didn't God choose Ananias? He was already saved. He was living for him. He was a disciple. He was a follower. I don't know. God chooses. That's why he's God and we're not. I don't know why God didn't choose Ananias. Maybe because he wasn't a Roman citizen like Paul. Maybe because he didn't read and write as eloquently as Paul did. Maybe because he didn't have all these other things, the education that Paul had. I don't know. On the other hand, Ananias probably lived and died his life right there in Damascus, living in the same house he's always lived in, but obedient to what God wanted to do. Did he write any of the epistles? No. Do we really remember Ananias' name in the broader you know, Christian context? No, he's not known like Paul. On the other hand, Ananias didn't get shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and whipped and imprisoned and snake-bitten and arrested and sent to the Mamertine prison in downtown Rome, and get his head chopped off. So yeah, sometimes it's fun to appear before kings and Gentiles and the children of Israel. But also remember that that same person may be suffering. Don't compare yourselves to others. A receiver receives what God wants to give us. Receive what God wants to give you. And don't always be looking at everybody else. A receiver receives what God gives them. And the final little thing I see with with receivers is that receivers pass on what they have received. Receivers pass on the blessing. They pass on what they have been given. They don't get it from God and then put their arms around it and say, mine, 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 mine. Receivers pass it on. Look how many times it's used in this verse. Verse. We go down. When Ananias shows up in verse 17, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from Paul's eyes something like scales and he received his sight, arose, and was baptized. Receivers pass on what they have received. We don't keep it to ourselves. We are the walking testimony of God's power. We are a living testimony, an instrument to what God can do in, in the lives of regular, ordinary people. This is who I was, and thank you, Jesus, this is who I am now. What God has done in me, what God has delivered me from, what God has, has given to me, he can give to you too. I have received it, now you receive it. There are people all over this community that are dying, they're depressed, they're discouraged They're angry. We have the answer. And we cannot sit in here and hoard our blessing. Receivers don't hoard it. Receivers pass it on. Pass on what you have received. Give it to others. Give it to others gladly. If you want to become a receiver in 2011, obey what God tells you. Receive everything that God wants to give you and then pass your blessing on. If we decide to become a community of receivers, of church full of receivers, we will change our city and we will change our world for good and for God. We become receivers. We give it away because we know that God will give us more. Receivers don't have to hoard it because receivers know that they'll receive more. Help other people. Give give it away freely. Well, let me close with this little story. Catherine Kuhlman was a pretty well-known healing evangelist of the last century. She's, I think she passed away in like the 1970s, so it's not like she's, she's been dead for some time now. But she was extremely well-known in the, 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 the middle part of the 20th century. Really, her pinnacle of her fame and uh, popularity and whatnot was probably in the late 40s and early 50s. I heard—I read an, a newspaper magazine article that she gave. And it was a fascinating story that she told. This newspaper writer was interviewing Catherine Kuhlman in the late 40s. Now remember, this is the late 1940s. And so his question to her, uh, probably we wouldn't ask of a female evangelist these days, but the question to her was, why do you think God gave you this ministry and didn't give this ministry to a man? Why did you get this ministry and not a man? And what she said was fascinating. She said, I don't believe that I was God's first choice for this ministry. She said, I believe that God approached numerous men and offered them this ministry, but they were unwilling to receive it. She said, I would categorize myself, if you wanted me to describe my ministry, I would describe it to you, I am God's shoe. And the newspaper guy said, what does that mean, you're God's shoe? And she said, okay, I'll explain it to you. She said, imagine that you're stepped up, you're standing on your couch, and you're hanging pictures, and you've got your finger exactly where you want the nail to be, so that the picture will be where you want it, the picture will be straight, level, you've got your picture, your your your, your finger exactly where you want that nail to be, okay? You're up on the couch, finger on the wall, you're right where you want it to be. You're ready to drive that nail in, and you realize I left the hammer over on the counter and I can't reach the hammer without moving my finger. She said, what do you do to drive the nail in? She said, you take your shoe off, and you drive the nail in with your shoe. She said, I am God's shoe. She said, other people didn't want this ministry, but I was willing to receive it, and I received everything that God gave me, and I describe myself as God's shoe. That's what I want to leave you with this morning. Become God's shoe. Don't resist the things God wants to do. Don't allow deception to remain in your life. Become a receiver this morning. Receive the wondrous, miraculous things that God wants to do through you, for yourself and through you for other people. God has a blessing. When we are receivers, God blesses us, but he also blesses all the other people that our lives touch. I encourage you in 2011 to become a receiver. Receive everything that God wants to give you, all the good. It may be fun, it may be scary sometimes, it may be intimidating, but that is the adventure of serving God. That's the adventure of serving God. You don't know where God's going to call you. You don't know what God's going to give you to do. Become a receiver and embrace everything that he wants to do with you and through you and in you and for you, for other people. God has an awesome plan, a unique destiny, and a purpose for your life embrace that purpose become a receiver and help others to find their purpose let me pray with you this morning god we praise you we come to you right now I thank you for everything you've done for us this morning i thank you for every life that's here every family that's represented god i ask this very morning there may be some people here that know you are calling them to do something and they have been resistant to what you want to do through them I ask that this very morning you would break down those walls of resistance, that they would embrace that new, exciting thing that you want to give them. I ask that you would encourage them, help them not to remain resistant. Help them to become receivers. There may be others, Lord, that know that they have an unresolved issue in their life. It may be habitual sin. It may be an attitude, unforgiveness, anger. But there are those that know right now, I have unresolved issues in my life. I ask that you would give them the power to burn that out. God, we ask that you would just help them to no longer be in deception, no longer trying to deceive others, and most importantly, no longer trying to deceive you. I ask that you would give them the power to turn their entire life over to you. Give them the power to give it all to you. And there may be others, God, that say, I, I'm not resistant. I'm not a deceiver, but I am not the receiver that I need to be. I am not the receiver that people in my life need. I'm not the receiver that my community needs. I'm not the receiver that the guys at work need. There are people in my life that need to know about you. Help me to become a better receiver. I ask that you would help every person here to become a better receiver this morning. Help them to be more obedient. Help them to receive everything you want to give them. And then help them to pass those blessings on. God, help us to become a community of receivers in 2011, a community of receivers that will change our city and our country and our world. Help us, God, to become receivers this very morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.